0: Welcome into the One Up Podcast. This week, we are joined by a guy who's been on with us before. He did it with Tom Glavin. He was supposed to be playing in the American Family Insurance on PGA Tour Champions. Instead, he's with me. And that, of course, is John Smoltz. a guy who is a member of the Baseball Hall of Fame class of 2015, uh, a guy who was one of the best starters of his generation, and then he was put in the bullpen and became, along with Mariano Rivera, one of the top two closers in Major League Baseball. So here's my conversation with John Smoltz. John, let's start with this. You know, you've played in in a USGA championship, which is the U.S. Senior Open. Uh, you, You contend and win in some of these elite, Celebrity slash LPGA uh, or just celebrity events. Do you prepare differently? Have you for a celebrity event as you would for a a senior PGA Tour champions event or a USGA championship?
1: Well, you know it's interesting because they're two totally different formats. One's a stableford, the other one's stroke play. So uh, the stableford allows you to have more room for error and gives you some more freedom to be more aggressive. And uh, I'll tell you the biggest thing that I learned uh, the, the celebrity event, which we play at the Diamond Resorts, is four rounds, which four rounds is legit, obviously, when you win a tournament. But to play three rounds and know that your score uh, is, is the reason at the champions level, that is a bigger challenge for me to prepare based on the tournaments that I play in and based on my schedule. So I hope that when I go to a tournament, I'm clicking. Uh, Sometimes I am. Sometimes I'm not. But his schedule is so sporadically filled with obligations, of course, with Fox and MLB Network that I'm trying to be more mentally ready than I am physically ready. And that's a challenge because these guys are so great. I'm not trying to kid myself to think that I can compete in the upper echelon of these players. But it has taught me so much about my golf game. It's the reason that my golf game is where it's at today, having played in these great tournaments.
0: You know, John, when, when you came up in Major League Baseball, obviously you had an, a, a dynamic arm. Did, you, did it take time for you to be really good in a bullpen session to getting on the mound with live hitters? Or did you make that transition pretty easily? You know, the one thing about uh, especially
1: baseball and about me is I'm not afraid to try whatever I need to try to see if that's going to be successful. In other words, take it from the range right to the course or from the bullpen right to the game. That's the only way that the people that I've been around, the greats that I've watched, those people do exactly that. You're never going to find anything out about your game or your profession if you don't, Utilize those things you're working on to see where it fits in your in your game. And I think for me as a pitcher, right away I learned, I failed, I learned, and I failed. And those are the best ways to learn to become the better version of yourself. You have to have gone through those things. And I'm telling young players all the time: if you don't trust that across the white lines in our sport, against that, you know, against the best and the best, you'll leave it in the bullpen. And if you leave it in the bullpen, you'll be you'll be a great bullpen pitcher. And I, you know, there's the guys in our sport that are great. They call them five or six o'clock hitters because that's when batting practice is. And then there's uh, great, you know, uh, range players. Uh, and my, my running joke to a lot of guys when I get on the golf course is, do you know how many no hitters I've thrown in the bullpen? But I've never thrown a no hitter in a real game. So that's, that's the difference between, you know, literally trusting what you pre- you're practicing on and then executing it, no matter what happens, and knowing that that's going to make you better.
0: You know, there are some elite college golf coaches that I've spoken to, who now have installed mandates on their their kids playing, and if they don't play, there there is some punitive damage to, to 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 their ability to get out and, and qualify for events. Do you think that that's a symptom of something? Because I do. I, I think that. That And I'll tell you what my theory is, but why are younger people more inclined to want to practice and not play, which is essentially like practicing for the real thing?
1: Yeah, it's a great balanced question because, look, I'm a field guy. I need to go out in the elements and find out what Um, I'm doing. If I'm at the range, I get bored. Uh, I just hit balls and keep hitting balls. And I don't have the fine focus that I need when I get out on the golf course. Same thing on the mound. I'm practicing to get my fundamentals and my mechanics so that I don't have to work on my mechanics on the mound. If I have to work on my mechanics, it takes away from getting a hitter out. And the same thing with execution on the golf course. If I haven't already pre-worked my swing thought or my swing, then I'm then if I'm messing with that, then I would probably go to the range. But to be able to to be the best version of a golfer, I personally think you have to play. And you have to be under the gun in circumstances that you either create or your game that you're playing creates. And that's why I do all kinds of different tweaks and games on the course to challenge myself as if I was in a tournament. Because casual golf is probably one of the easiest things to do. It's when all of a sudden the cameras are on or people are there and you're having to hit a shot. That's when golf becomes a real sport where you have to find out what your tension's like and what your mindset's like.
0: You know, aiming. Aiming is, to baseball, what steering is in in golf. Mechanics are very different. Did you ever have a bout where you were aiming the the ball for a period, whether it was a, a couple of outings Uh, or early in your career at any point, did you have a a, a challenge with aiming the ball? Yeah, and that's what happens when you
1: lose your mechanics. Uh, That's what happens when you lose the trust in your ability to execute. Like the plate will move, the plate will bounce. All of a sudden, you're hoping to throw a strike. Never a good situation because you've lost the connection between your hand and your brain. And when your release point gets altered, that's when you, you lose the strike zone. The same thing with the swing. If you lose connection with the bottom of the club and you don't know where it is, you're more apt to hit balls that just don't feel right. And if it doesn't feel right, you're going to be steering the golf ball around, especially in windy conditions. I think when it, when it gets super windy is when you find out a lot about your golf game because you have to hit pure shots. If you don't, then, of course, you're, you're finding your golf ball going all over the place. And that's, that's interesting enough. When it gets super windy for me, I don't know what happens, but I focus so much more on, my, on on the execution of the shot than if it's in perfect condition, wide open fairways. You know, space to me is not a good thing. A tunnel is a great thing. When I have to hit a shot, unfortunately, from the woods or on the out, out of the rough and have to hit a small gap, I execute those shots. Trying to create that in a wide open fairway or nothing around the green sometimes allows me to just hit the ball without that fine tune or tunnel uh, focus.
0: You know, John, it's interesting. I thought one of the most revealing things you said about your experience playing the US senior open in denver was about releasing the club and and you talked about release point with the baseball and i think it's very transferable to talk about releasing the golf club finding the bottom my dad was a pitcher at the university of, of florida so he i learned a lot about mechanics when i was a boy and I think that those things are transferable. And the reason I bring that up is because you've had the good fortune of playing Augusta National a hand, more than a handful of times. And I think that players who have the best instincts play that golf course the best because there are no level lies other than on the tees that you get out there and you stop thinking about mechanics and it's about visualization and seeing what it is that you want to create in the air because you know you likely have a hanging line. A ball that's closer to you or further away uh because the lies are not level, do you play well at augusta national for and and if so, do you think that's one of the reasons?
1: you know the first couple times I played it, I was more in tune with the history and the awe and I didn't you be this was blew me away for the first twelve holes. I didn't take a divot. I'm like, hit a golf shot, my gosh, what are you doing like i would I didn't take a divot and and the course was in such. At that point, you know, pristine shape that I was thinking more about what I was watching than what I was doing. And then after that, I played it like a normal golf course. And I played it particularly well from that standpoint of I got to get this ball up and up and down from this area. And I got to hit way right of the pin. Once you learn the circumstances of the golf course and can trust the caddy. That's the biggest issue is trusting like you really want me to hit it 20 feet right here. That doesn't make sense. That is where uh, the ingenuity of of the golf course really comes into play. And I'll tell you, um, like anything else, once you play your home course enough, you really know and have an advantage over someone that comes and plays it for the first time. And that imagination in, in, in Tiger Woods, when I played with him in all those years, was so evident. It was so off the charts. His creativity was the reason why that course is like his backyard. I mean, he owned it and uh, I think to what you're saying is, is absolutely true.
0: You know, as somebody who is now the, the premier analyst and among the, the best analysts in all the sports, but as, it, as it's confined to your sport, analytics is such a big deal now. It's such a driving force to to managerial decisions, but analytics has not just seeped into golf, players are now immersed in in looking at situations pin locations. Historically, they know where pins are. Uh, They go year after year to the same events. You look at fairways, hit proximity, all that stuff. Um, Are you somebody who relied on analytics as your career went on and do you at all in the difference between a golf course like Tahoe, which you can make a lot of birdies as opposed to, you know, playing a USGA event where there's a value to par. Have you dabbled at all in analytics in golf? I really haven't. Um, I understand
1: that, that some people, this is right up their alley. I understand that this is going to be perfect for them. Uh, we got to understand as athletes, and I think teams have to understand that they're not all created the same in their brain. Analytics with my, in, in my day would have drove me over the edge. I would have loved to get a balance of it because I'd have had too much information that would have taken away from my athletic ability and my ability to, to adjust on the fly, see something and adjust versus programmed and telling myself that to get you out, I know every weakness you have and I'm gonna to pitch to your weakness and away from my strength. When analytics takes you away from your strength, I think it becomes a great weakness for the player. And even though it speaks to some success for a lot of players who have the ability to do that, and I know in golf, it really has consumed golf, and you've seen bodies transform, you've seen distances transform, And you've seen the fundamentals of golf kind of go away a little bit because the analytics talk about overpowering a golf course. And I think you're going to see a swing back to balance in the sports because too much information is caused in our sport, especially baseball. The value of it is is there. But if there's too much, it slows the game down and it paralyzes the computer that a lot of guys have to process the cat and mouse game of a pitcher and and a hitter. The information's there for the guy to soak it in if he wants it. And I think for golf, I think you're seeing the absolute uh, correct uh, statement of analytics has changed a lot of golfers and got them away from some of the things that they do the best just to feed into the information. And I think it's no different. I think I can make this comparison. Some guys have a great run with a certain set of clubs. Then they get paid more to play another set of clubs, and they're not the same golfer they're financially more advantage it might be but they're not the same golfer and eventually if they don't learn how to play with the new set of clubs there what is the gain you got to you got to balance what the gain is to gain that information or, or make that switch to your asset of strengths you got to as a player you've got to know what your strengths are if you don't you're going to be stagnant for a long time you might be okay and be successful you're never going to be great or as great as you can be if you don't understand your own strengths and weaknesses. And you'll be shocked how many baseball players don't know that because they've been programmed to do this. It's like the answers to the test. Here's the answers to the test. Now just go do it. Well, if that doesn't, if I'm not comfortable with that, again, I'm trying to throw a ball to a hitter that hits 158 on up and in under his elbows. Do you know how many pitchers in the game can do that? Probably 5% but everyone's trying to do that. So if you're all trying to do that and it's not a strength of yours, you're feeding into the actual, the hitter has a greater advantage of your mistake and him hitting your mistake than you executing your pitch. And I think people are going to find out that although the information and technology is fantastic, there has to be balance in it because the, the the brain types of these players are not all the same.
0: No, it's, it's so interesting because you know, th- th- these algorithms and all this data, and I've, I, you know, again, these, when you're calling these playoff games and you can just, I know you can see, you can see it in the body language of the manager and they're looking at, they're looking at matchups. And and for me growing up, it, it, what's the algorithm for the guy that, you know, if there's two on and two outs and you're a rundown, you know, this guy's going to hit one in the gap. To me, that was George Brett. Right. After the seventh inning, I knew that he was more capable than anybody. Yes, he was a hitter that hit for average and had more power than than most guys who were his contemporaries who hit for average. I just knew he was going to get a hit. And it's kind of like when you play with golfers, they're good, but in the last four holes, you know that person's going to get up and down. You know that you're going to make the the eight-footer. What is that algorithm?
1: Exactly. And that's, that's the one thing that the greats still find a way to utilize information, but stay with their strengths. When I played with some of the greatest golfers in the world, to your point, it was so evident, you know, I I tell my buddies all the time, they say, well, what is it like, you know, to play with Tiger or play with Annika or play with some of the greats? I said, basically, I I describe it like this. If I miss the green, I lost. They're like, what do you mean? I I had no chance. Like they missed the green. There's a good chance they're going to tie. They could still win. And that's, that's where the fundamentals of what they're, they're the reason why they're at the top, they put a lot of importance in all those areas of the game. I watch these guys at the range, hit shots, no amateur player would ever try. Think about that. The imagination of a 30 yard cut, putting it in the divot, 30 yard hook, all the different shots that on a driving range, there's no way to create unless you're creating it in your mind. And if it was all about, again, not that analytics are bad. The analytics of a lot of people at the driving range are trying to see how high they launch it, how far they hit it, because they're going to overpower. They don't care if they go in the rough. They don't They don't care because the distance is the most important thing to them that, that they've been convinced is their best chance of scoring. Well, in some cases, some golf courses, that works. In others, you're going to see those players have zero chance to compete for a championship based on their inability to have touch around the greens or so on and so forth. So I I find it interesting to watch bodies transform and their games transform based on the information. And I'm looking to see if that will result will actually be better for them in time.
0: You know, John, you're going to be playing in the American Family Insurance this week. And obviously that's been uh, postponed. Usually when you get older, there are certain things that will erode yeah, you're after 50 now. Do you think you're you're better equipped to get a better result, even though you're getting older in these events like that or or like if you get back into a USGA championship? I think so. I was worried
1: a couple of years ago what was headed uh, physically for me. I've been able to put off some surgeries and then my goal is to put those off as long as possible. I mean, I need double hip replacement, but the way I work and the way I worked in baseball is I go as far and as long as I can before the inevitable. And then I have to surgery. And I've been working on things to try and maintain. So I'm in a kind of a Pandora's box a little bit. I, I loved, I, I love to train, but I can't train right now in areas that I used to, because I start risking the hips being a little bit more sore. So walking a golf tournament for me is about as interesting and challenging as it gets. I used to think walking a golf tournament, like what's the big deal? It is a huge deal. It is a huge advantage if you're in shape and you can maintain, uh, like Augusta is one of the hilliest most, it, it catches you by surprise how hard of a golf course that is to walk. And so from my age standpoint, my mind is 23, my body might be 73, and I'm trying to fiddle, fit in the middle of that. And I'm really trying to, to, to balance what I can and can't do based on my schedule. In a perfect world, if I wasn't doing as much as I was in baseball, I would dedicate a little bit more to the finite ability to absolutely uh, play the kind of golf that I want to play. And who knows? You know, I consider myself still young enough that in the gap that I talked, fifty to sixty, if I can maintain certain things and have the luxury of being able to qualify for things, what a what a blast that would be to play at certain levels and have you know, I call it the the greatest afterlife of a sport that beat me up. I mean, 22 years of baseball beat my body up. And even though I was only a pitcher, um, the, the attributes of golf and pitching are similar in the one-sided sport, one-sided type uh, action. And so creating an imbalance in my body was really evident. And I've been working on to balance that, that, that aspect. And that's why I never used to understand swinging left-handed, why that was so important. And balancing on something that I always did right-handed. So I'm learning and I'm having the time of my life in the in the times that I can play in these tournaments. I get very frustrated and beat myself up but at the end of the day I take notes, I look back, here's what I want to work on, here's what I can do better and uh, you know what it is a it's just the greatest rush that I have left uh, because my competitive juices are still there but I don't have as much competition of course. I am a competition junkie. Um, there's no doubt about it. I love competing. And that's what baseball allowed me to do for 35, 40 years of my life. And uh, now it's time to golf.
0: You know, along those lines, the last time I saw you was last fall outside of Atlanta um, at a uh, Peter Millar event. And you had just been with Michael and you had been at the Grove 23. And one of the things you said to me was, He's playing better than he's ever played. And I kind of scoff like I've heard that line about how he's better than he's ever been. But you said, no, no, no. His putting, which has always been kind of a strength, I think, for Michael, you thought he was putting maybe better than he ever had. Now, I'm going to ask it this way. If Michael Jordan's putting was put in the body of of an elite iron player on the PGA Tour, meaning he was putting for birdie, is amongst the you know the top 10 on tour proximity to the hole was among the top 10 where would michael's putting put that player for the year in strokes game putting top 50 Well, well what's interesting
1: about that question is i wouldn't go to the mechanics of the putting i would go to the mental toughness of the putting his ability to will putts in i think uh I think takes him to a different level. And I know there's guys on the tour that believe they're gonna make every single putt. I can honestly tell you, I don't believe I'm gonna make every single putt. That's what I'm trying to strive towards. I think my stroke is better than my results, but my results is what I'm chasing. And Michael, in his ability to get up and down and his ability to compete, I'm in awe of how much he will, he just knows he's gonna make it. And when he does it, it's a severe surprise. Look, he's six eight, six six, six seven, and he uh, may not have all the mechanics of the putting stroke. He has the same putter I've seen him use forever, which is, I don't do that. Like, that's one of my flaws. I got 100 putters in my in my basement, in my garage. So, uh, I go all the way back. I, I go all the way back to the first time I played with Michael Jordan. And this was when he was still playing for the Bulls, and I was obviously a young player in baseball. We played in Chicago. It's the last hole. He's got a 20-some footer for birdie, and I got a 7- or 8-footer for birdie. He makes it. He wins the event. If I make it, I win the match. Well, he started reciting his whole resume before he got over the putt. All these championships, all these MVPs, this is no big deal. I'm going to make this. This is like a three-point. I mean, he went on this whole resume before he putted the ball. Well, he made it. Now I get up, I've got no resume. What am I reciting? Like, okay, we lost 100 two years in a row as a team. Uh, my ERA, you know, so I just like, I got to find a way to make this putt. Luckily, I did. But my point was, I was in such awe of his ability to just in that moment create this feel good, I'm going to make this putt. And I found myself saying, okay, at some point, I need to kind of grab onto that but I was blown away by it but and he's been that way his whole life so
0: it's not a surprise. John before I let you go because of the the circumstance we all have found ourselves in you know whatever trips you might have had planned have been curtailed in the in the spring and hopefully there wasn't some just magical uh trip that you had planned and hopefully it can be rescheduled. Is there some place that right now is your white whale? a place that's hanging out there that you haven't been to? Because I was with you and Glavin early in 19, and you told me about you guys putting a trip to the British Isles together. Uh, But what is the white whale right now for you that's hanging out there that you've never played?
1: That's it. And unfortunately, that trip was supposed to take off uh, (laughs) yesterday or two days ago. We had everything set up. Of course, the London series, I tied it in with the London series that was supposed to happen with baseball it was Glavin, myself, Greg Olson. It was supposed to be Greg Maddox. He couldn't make it this year. So that was a trip that I'm not focusing on too much because I could, I was so excited for it coming up. We're going to do it next year. And I I've I've always said, you know, the four of us, uh, especially the three of us have been linked forever, the pitchers. And I said, we got to make, I'll make it happen. I'm the golf concierge. I'll check everybody's schedule. And I set up all the golf courses, all the hotels and, Really was excited about getting over there to play that type of golf, which I'd never played. And so we're just going to put it off a year um, and make sure that Greg can do it. And I think it'll be, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to personally kind of d- document some of those things. And then maybe as as time goes on, you know, we'll be able to reflect over our career, but also reflect on the times we had on the golf course, which were priceless.
0: Well, let me end it with this, because every time I'm asked this question, I don't have an answer, and I kind of try to rephrase it. I don't have a favorite golf course. Um, I have places that I consider to be among my absolute favorite, obviously. What's the most fun place for you to play golf? Take it all, all of it, the hang, the holes, the food, the whole thing. And I'm not allowing Augusta National. I don't even think that's really a fair fight. You even mentioned it's kind of century overload. You're like, that happened there, that happened there. I, I, I Take that out. The most fun place for you to do it for all things, what is it?
1: Yeah, that's always a great question. And the courses that come to mind, which I can never really get out of my mind, Oakmont's always there in the conversation. I, I just think the challenge of Oakmont, the excitement of going on this, this golf course and the challenge of trying to, you know, of course, we're all trying to get the best score we can. Um, Oakmont's is a, a one that I, I, for whatever reason, uh, I feel like is is something I can't get out of the the top two, three, four, five. I mean, it always comes. There's so many great courses. The place they used to belong to at Frederica and Sea Island is one oh, of those fun, awesome most unbelievable we've played the 72 holes that you talk about where we we go down there with a bunch of guys the greens are huge it always feels like you're gonna make birdies but you never make a lot of them because you're hitting a lot of greens and that is that is one you call the fun factor where you could be there all day not be bored of the golf course it changes because of the wind um, so yeah those those are the two that you know that where I belong at Hawks Ridge is an absolute we can do pretty much whatever we want and that that is special when in a game that is so great and has so much history, sometimes the history and the rules zap the fun of what you're doing at certain places. And you understand that they got to have rules and there needs to be rules, but sometimes you get to a place where you can just, I don't have hair left, but, but you can let your hair down. You know, you can just absolutely get after it. Six, some, seven, some, five, some, and have a lot of fun playing golf and move along. And, uh, that's what I enjoy most about golf. The tournaments is a total different area, but uh, golf is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be filled with a day where this might be the day. That's my motto every single time I step on a golf course. Today might be the day. I've got target scores. When I turn 66, I want to shoot my age from 66 all the way to good Lord takes me home. And I want to see if, uh, not that I can master the game, but I want to be able to take the game to a level that I can play it for a long time.
0: Well, you were going to be in the American Family Insurance, hopefully with your baseball schedule. And hopefully baseball is played. You can be there uh, when it's played in the f- early fall. Uh, you mentioned Tahoe. Looking forward to seeing you there as well. It's always great talking golf. and Just talking about a whole host of things with you. Thanks, as always.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, thank you again to John Smoltz. Always great to hear his thoughts uh, about golf as it applies to the sport that he uh, – Nobody masters any sport, but he was awfully good in the game of baseball. And most importantly, thank you to you for taking the time to listen to the One Up podcast. We'll see you next time.